Don't you guys love Mike Bell? It's good to have elders who care that much about the church and what's going on in our church. And I know all of our elders do and are passionate about both Taylorville Christian Church and Vision Way Christian School. And it's at the heart of really who we are. So I'm thankful for guys like that. You know, I've told you before that parenting is not for the faint of heart, and there's lots of things that we have to figure out as parents. And one of those for me that's always challenging is the balance between encouragement and correction, right? I mean, we as parents want to be encouragers. We want to be people who build our kids up and let them know what they can do and encourage them to try new things and take on new challenges and celebrate their successes. We want to be those kinds of parents. And on the other hand, we know that sometimes... I mean, my kids are perfect, but sometimes <laughs> there is a little correction that's required, right? And we know we've got to do that, and yet, how do we do that and maintain this identity as an encourager? We can't just let this stuff go, because if we let it go, that's telling our kids, hey, that behavior's fine, that way of thinking is okay, so we've got to do something to help them see that something needs to change there, but how do we find that balance, the right balance between encouraging and correcting? And I think that's like a daily struggle in the life of lots of us who are parents and maybe grandparents too, okay? So that's a, that's a battle. Now, here's the thing. I think sometimes we carry that over into the church. There's a similar struggle in the church in that we, we have this responsibility as the church, right? We're the people of God. We know what Scripture says is right and wrong. And so we have this responsibility when we look out and see behavior and thinking that is clearly wrong, that is clearly inconsistent with what God tells us in Scripture. We have a responsibility to correct that, okay? We feel that strongly. And so when we look out in our culture, and there's all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, with the list could go on for all day, that we feel like we've got to take a stand and say, this is wrong this needs to change. And so, unfortunately, the church has in some ways developed this reputation for saying, okay, let us tell you everything that you're doing wrong, okay? And people sort of see us as that. Like, we're the police, that the moral police that are going to tell them everything they're doing wrong. So they think church is all about sin and judgment. That church is all about come in and let us beat you up for all the stuff that you've done wrong. And in fact, I think sometimes we sort of like that, that that we get to talk about sin. I mean, I can remember especially early in my ministry people saying, well, you need to preach about sin. You need to talk about sin. Now, what I found was that most people don't really want to talk about the sins they're committing, right? Most of us really want sermons and lessons on sins that other people are committing because that makes us feel pretty good about ourselves and deals with all those things that we need to be corrected in our culture. And so the church has developed this reputation of presenting God as mainly a judge who's just out there hoping to trip some of us up in all his rules and regulations and tell us when we've done something wrong. That's the picture of God that some people think the church is all about. Okay? Now, I think in the last few years there's been a reaction against that. 
that we don't want to be just the moral police. We don't want to just be pointing out everybody's sin. So we've begun to paint a different picture of God, and God is sort of all smiles and puppy dogs, and he's there to make you feel good about yourself. And God, whatever you do, God doesn't really mind. It's not, we don't want to talk too much about sin because that makes people feel bad. And so we've swung in the completely opposite direction to say, hey, we're not about that. We're not about judgment. We're not, we, we just, we're glad. We're just glad. You know, we're really happy, whatever, okay? Now, which one of those is right? Jesus told the story, Matthew chapter 22. And he said, the kingdom of heaven's like this. And we get back to this whole, this whole theme of the politics of Jesus. Of Jesus saying, okay, I'm not so concerned about the politics of the world. I'm not going to talk too much about the Roman emperor or... Or the way the governors in Judea work. He mentions them a couple times here and there. He has this encounter with Pilate. But what he seems to be more concerned about is the politics of his kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. And so, so in Matthew 22 he says the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. There's a king who invites all these people to a wedding. And it's because his son's getting married. Big deal, right? The king's son doesn't get married every day. So this is an exciting occasion. People would long to get, you know, this invitation that says you can come to the king's son's wedding. He invites the important people in the nation, in the country, and, and he sends out an invitation that basically says, okay, it's coming. Be ready. Here's the date. Now what we have to know is that in the ancient world, I mean, a wedding could last a week, all right? You think a wedding is expensive now, right? A week, okay? So you're feeding people for a week, but if they come, they have some responsibilities. You've got to travel. You've got to pay for that yourself. You've got to find a place to, set, to stay wherever the wedding is, so there's some expense there. So It was, hey, you're putting some money in the pot because you've got to get there, you've got to stay, all right? So people get this invitation, and then there's sort of a second invitation that comes, and it's time for the wedding. And this was pretty typical. Hey, it's coming, and then now the wedding is. Because so the king sends out his servants to all these people who've invited, and he says, okay, listen, it's time, right? The, the wedding date has come. I want you to come to the wedding. And everybody ignores it. Nobody shows up. And the people are hearing Jesus tell this story, like, well, what's going on here? I mean... This is like the thing that everyone would want to be at. It's the place to see and, and to be seen. It's, it's the most important thing on the social calendar of the year or maybe the decade, and, and nobody showed up. So the king sends his servants out a third time. The first time was, hey, this is when it's going to happen. The second time is, it's ready. And now he says, listen, the tables are set. The musicians have tuned their instruments. It's time for the wedding, I want you to come and enjoy the feast. And this time, the people who receive the invitations, the most important people in the kingdom, when the servants come and announce that the wedding is at hand, well, they beat them up. In fact, they kill some of those servants. It's very strange behavior. You don't do that. You should be excited that the moment has come that you get to go and, and these people just sort of rub it in the face of the king. I mean, this is treason. 
And so the king says, all right, if it's going to be that way, they never deserve to come anyway. And so he sends soldiers out and he burns their cities to the ground. That's pretty strong. Okay, pretty strong response. And he sends out other invitations. This time, not to the most important people, but to us. Just average, ordinary, regular people in the country that, that were ignored the first time. And he invites everyone to just come. Whatever they've done, whoever they are, just come to the wedding feast. And guess what? They showed up. They were there. And we say, okay, awesome. Nice story, Jesus. Everybody lived happily ever after. But Jesus didn't end the story there. Jesus says there was this guy. Everybody else came to the wedding and they came, you know, suit and tie, nice dress. Everybody's decked out. I mean, no more important event than the wedding of the king's son. They, they show up in their Sunday best. I mean, it's the best thing they've got, except this one guy. He's got on a Hawaiian short shirt and Bermuda shorts, and, you know, it looks like he's going to bingo night at the VFW. And the king's sort of looking around. And he finds this guy, and he says, Man, who let you in here? You can't come to the wedding dressed like that. And he calls his servants and he says, bind this guy up, put his hands behind his back, tie him up, and just throw him out of here. And we go, what? Jesus, what, what are you talking about? I mean, you invite the regular people. The people who don't have tuxedos and top hats and white ties, you invite regular people. And they show up in blue jeans, and then you get, King gets all bent out of shape. What kind of story is this? Scholars have tried to figure this out. I mean, this is not an easy parable for us to understand. Some scholars say, well, it was normal custom for the king to provide the right clothes for the people who came to the wedding. Well, if that's true, we have almost no evidence from the ancient world to support that at all. Okay, I just don't think that's the answer to this problem. I think the answer to the problem is the guy just didn't show up in the right clothes. The thing is, sometimes we read this parable, and the very last line is this, verse 14 of chapter 22. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And we hear that verse at the end of this parable, and some of us go, man, am I, am I wearing the wrong clothes? You know, am I? Am I doing the wrong thing here? Because maybe it's that Jesus has invited me, but I'm doing something wrong that I don't even know about. That maybe I'm not chosen and I, I thought I was. And sort of struck fear in the hearts of lots of people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. That maybe the king was just walking around the room and he just chose 
a random person and pulled him out of the crowd and singled him out for what he was wearing. But that's not the way Jesus tells the story. It's not just a random guy. It's a guy who knows the customs, knows what he's supposed to do, and he didn't do it. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way, There are clothes you need to wear for the wedding, and if you refuse to put them on, you're saying that you don't want to stay at the party. We sort of know the expectations. I mean, we're, we're all in different places on this. Some people have been studying Scripture for a long time. Some people are beginning that study. But as we read through Scripture, we begin to see what's expected of us. We understand not the real clothes we're supposed to wear, but, but what's expected. What's God calling us to do? How's He calling us to live our lives? And we have a choice in that. We can say, you know what? I'm not interested. I like this whole God thing, and God makes me feel better, and I, I, I'm comfortable with that, but, but I'm not sure I like these expectations that God is putting on my life. I'm not into that. Well, guess what we're saying when we say that? I don't want to stay at the party. I don't want to stay. Here's the lesson I want us to get from this. God accepts us as we are, but we can't stay as we are. So the good news for us today is this. Whatever we've done in the past, whoever we've been in the past, whatever mistakes we've made, whichever direction we've gone that we regret, all that stuff that we feel like is separating us from God and will be a really good excuse for God to say, I don't want anything to do with her. I don't want anything to do with him. Okay? All that stuff that's back there. God accepts you anyway. Okay? God wants you to come. The invitation has been sent. And it's up to us whether we're going to accept that invitation or not. It's up to us whether we're going to say, hey, listen, you know, I got better things to do with my life. Whether we're going to say, okay, God, I'm in. If you can really take someone like me, I'm in. But here's the other side of that. Okay? Sometimes we want to leave the story there. Just like it'd be nice if we had this story and we left it. Hey, everybody shows up for the wedding. Awesome. End of story. We'd like for it to sort of say, God accepts us as we are. Period. But there's a little more to it. Because God does accept us as we are. God wants us to come. He's inviting us in. But the second part of this parable teaches us that God is also saying we can't stay as we are. And who's he talking to? All of us. All of us. Because we've all got something. We've all got something that needs to change. We've all got sin, or we've got some kind of addiction, or we've got some kind of problem that we're struggling with, that we've been battling for a long time. We've all got something. And what God is saying is, listen, hey, I want you to come. Whatever that stuff is, I want you to come. But here's the good news. God is also saying to every one of us, let 
me help you deal with it. Let me help you deal with it. Whatever it is that you think is keeping you from God and God shouldn't accept you and you're not good enough, God is saying, come anyway and let me help you deal with it. Right? You've got to be willing to put on the right clothes. You've got to be willing to change something. You've got to be willing to allow God to transform you, to make you different, to make you better, to make you into the person that he made you to be. You've got to be willing to say, hey, listen, this matters so much for this life and eternity that I am willing to change. And this all-powerful God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross is ready to say, let me help. Let me help you change. So what's your answer? You know, sometimes it's, it's easier. It's more comfortable to stay where we are. It would be the path of least resistance to, stay, to say to God, listen, that change is hard. God, you're, you're forcing me to confront some stuff that I have pushed down beneath the surface for decades. And I've got it so far down, nobody can see it. Except you. And God, I'd just as soon not dig it up. And what God is saying is, the only way we can defeat it is if we bring it into the light. And he will help you change. God accepts us as we are, but we can't stay as we are. Because if we do, we're saying, I don't want to be at the party. Let's pray. God, we can't thank you enough for sending Jesus. We can't thank you enough for the way that the blood of the cross transforms who we are. And so God, give us the courage today to come before you because we know you accept us as we are. And God, there's people in the room who are saying to themselves right now, uh, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You can't promise me that. God, fill each person with the knowledge that your love is so great that you can accept every one of us as we are. But God, also give us the courage to allow your light to shine on us so that we see what in our lives needs to change. And then God, through your power, transform us into the people you want us to be. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe you're at a point where you're saying, you know what? It's time for me to open this life up to God. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the invitation that he's offered through the cross and the resurrection, and you're ready to respond to that in faith and repentance and then in baptism. If you're ready to make that decision, we want to talk with you about it.
We want to see those next steps happen. Or maybe you've done that and you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, love to talk with you. You can come forward during the song we're going to sing next. Or, or you can see me after the service and we can talk about where you are and all that. So let's stand together and sing our invitation this morning.